1: We often talk professional sports. We often talk collegiate sports. That is going to be the case today. But perhaps there's nothing funnier than talking about Little League sports, just as we were in the studio as Colin leaves the studio talking about his kid hitting a three last night. Congratulations to Colin's child for hitting a three-pointer. And then that got us on actually talking about how good kids can be at basketball. Like, if you show up in the gear and you got the handles, then you know that guy is going to be D1 at some point, or at least as long as he continues on that trajectory, he's going to be D1. But on the other side, sometimes kids will show up decked out in everything you possibly can go get to play a basketball game, and they can be downright terrible. It's 50 50. If they show up in the headband and the sweat gear, they could be great, or they could just be downright terrible. And it was fun to discuss all of that. I feel like we all have some of those experiences looking back at Little League.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, for my son, he, he had to earn his stuff. I thought the <laughs> I like better that. you are, the better the stuff I'll get you. If you're out there hooping like that, then I'll get you the accessories and the, the dope sneakers and all that, but uh, my son's pretty basic. He doesn't he didn't like a lot of stuff.
1: Well, this was the debate. You can text in on the text line 704-570-9610. Do you agree with Fiddy that if you show up, with all of the gear, perhaps expensive gear, do you know that guy is terrible? Because I think it's 50-50. Wes, you thought so as well. Uh, I think it's maybe a little higher than that. I mean, you got the kid whose dad
2: just, you know, doesn't want his kid on his case, so he buys him everything he wants. <laughs> but like, yeah. I used to watch the Friday Night Tyke show uh, with the Texas kids that were 8, 9, and 10 uh, playing football. And you better believe those kids watch NFL football, and they would have all the stuff on that the guys had, and they could ball.
1: So, Fiddy, you contend, though, that if you have all of the stuff, the accoutrements to play a basketball game, mm-hmm. then you realize that, okay, that guy is terrible, and his dad is just spending all this money for no reason.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was at least my experience growing up. Like, if you had the shooting sleeve, you had the uh, the headband, if you had the— you know, the long, you know, compression type of socks, if you will. Like I knew mm-hmm. that guy, mommy and daddy were just coping with the fact that their kid wasn't good, but their kid was going to at least look good. Um, and I, to me, I thought it was the same way in baseball. Like if a player looked like a major league baseball player in little league, kid couldn't play.
1: Baseball, I feel like is a little more egregious just because you can have other things to show off just how much money you have in that sport. Like what kind of bat you would bring to the table was also interesting. Because there used to be a kid in Little League Baseball that had this Walmart bat, the good old all red renegade. And that thing, ting, <laughs> when you hit that baseball, it's a ting. It sounded fantastic. But clearly it was not as good as the stealth bats or even the Nike bats that would drop a little bit later on. But yes, all of those things can point to you either being terrible and mommy and daddy are paying for everything or you're good and they're investing. And so you just might deserve a lot of this stuff and have earned it such as you make your kid do well.
2: Yeah, no doubt. But I mean, he's very simple. Sometimes I look at my son and I'm like, yo, like what, what type of time are you on? Like I take him in the store and I'm like, yo, what do you want? I'm like, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want that? And he's mm-hmm. like, no. And I'm like, okay. Cause <laughs> if I was his age, I would have been getting everything. Like I definitely had as much stuff as uh, my mom could afford. Uh, But, you know, I had to make sure I was looking good. That's the aesthetic. That's one of my keys to liking players is how sweet do they look in their uniform.
1: Uh, Herman Photography said, I was fire in soccer. My dad took me off the team and put me in football. I was so trash. I got traded. This was youth football. I didn't know they did trades. I didn't know that either, to be honest with you. I know there were some trades in camp every once in a while, just if you needed a better number of players on the team. But I have never heard of a trade take place in Little League. But perhaps that's just because I don't know the game like that. Uh, the bagel guy said, yeah, when you wear Jordans, but you don't play like Jordan, you know, I think we're all kind of guilty of that, to be honest with you. Uh, we can keep scrolling. Uh, we have TC writing in. Yeah, those kids that show up with all the gear usually are terrible, but those parents keep the team fed and hydrated. That's true, too. They're also providing <laughs> That's the a good orange- point. Yes. Touché. Great point from TC. You also have them to thank for the orange slices and the Capri Suns. And that is a big deal when you're playing Little League. Yeah. That was a fun conversation. Got the
2: team fan. They can get everybody taken care of.
1: It felt like the Tar Heels could have just used one more orange slice last night. (laughs) Just a little bit more juice that could have helped them get over the hump in the second half attempted comeback. But North Carolina, they lose their first ACC game this year. They lost to Georgia Tech, 74 to 73. Fitty walks in the fishbowl little quiet, had some things to tend to. Didn't seem like he was seething at the loss, but I was just going to give him his time. Wes walks in, smiling, saying, you guys hear that buzz? And boom, <laughs> Fiddy was ready to pop off on you as he wasn't here for it. Let's dive in right now. Mr. Angry Bus Driver, at least frustrated, maybe bus driver. Let's pull up to the scene, open up the doors and maybe have a delayed kick to the bus driver. Go ahead and step on the gas, or, or actually break, and then we can open up the doors and get off the bus.
2: We look good getting off the
1: bus. I got something to say. Damn! West the Heels lose their first ACC game to Georgia Tech. We talked about it yesterday. I thought it was going to be a lot like the Boston College game where it's close deep into the second half, and then North Carolina separates themselves. Mm -hmm. You thought it was just going to be an outright blowout. Fiddy, I think, was probably in the middle somewhere. It's a tougher road game, but eventually you thought Carolina would be able to take care of business. It looked like they were about to go on a run in the first half and be done with them think they're up eleven at yes. most in the first. Eleven was their largest league. And then Georgia Tech starts coming back, and Carolina can't figure it out again. In fact, the Heels were the team that had to come back and make this a game at the end of the second. Wes, two things. How surprised are you that North Carolina lost the way they did, and is there any reason to worry after this loss?
2: Uh, I was surprised, yes. I'll I'll answer that one, because I thought that they were going to go in there and take care of business against this team uh, without much of a fight. But... You know, some teams, like I said, it's that thing once you get that target on your back and everybody's building you come to, you're their national championship, especially a team like Georgia Tech. And so, uh, but when they ended up losing a game, I mean, I thought it was much ado about nothing. I thought for the most part it was... Uh, a little bit of the the fatigue of the winning. And also, I thought it could have been a little bit of them looking ahead to uh, Saturday's matchup as well. And Georgia Tech, you know, it was their everything. It was one of those, you know, give it all you got. Again, Yeah, this is our game. You know what I'm saying? To, to really show people whatever the case. And so Georgia Tech came out and played out of body. And then by the time Carolina tried to uh, come back and make it a game, it was a little bit too late it went down to the y it was a great matchup but that's just kind of road life in the acc i figured they'd drop I, I said when um you know wake had lost some games earlier this year everybody's gonna lose the game they're not supposed to and everybody's gonna lose some games on the road
1: yeah I, I think this is a legitimate question that i would like to find the answer to or at least attempt so many people will say they were looking ahead to duke that's the easy thing it makes sense you have the biggest rivalry in college sports I'll say all sports before Fiddy corrects me. You have the biggest rivalry. You got to get ready for that game on Saturday and you lose this one. Okay. You were looking over the yellow jackets. You didn't care about them nearly as much. And that's why you got beat. How much could it also be that they just missed a ton of shots as well? Right? Like Georgia tech, We saw them do this against Duke, and I don't know who Duke played right after Georgia Tech, but we weren't necessarily saying, hey, Duke was just looking at the next opponent. Now, they're also not nearly as good as at North Carolina. I just wonder, is it too easy? Do we just, is that the lazy way to go and say they were just looking ahead at Duke? Or is there a real substance to that? And in that way, we kind of strip Georgia Tech of some of its credit for coming out and beating North Carolina. I think if you were to make that point about North Carolina, then it would be after the 11-point lead like I don't think they just showed up and said all right we're gonna roll over Georgia Tech we might as well just get this over with I think if they were starting to look ahead at Duke it was after they got the double digit lead and said all right now we got it in the bag yeah if that made a point I don't I don't think they show up to Atlanta I think this team plays too hard to be honest with you like I I never see them go out there and be lazy for 40 minutes on the basketball court I, I think they do have the right mindset every single time they get off the bus and play a home or a road game But in this game against Georgia Tech, if you were to accuse them of looking ahead and not worrying about the Yellow Jackets, that might be true. But it's only true, in my opinion, after they had the 11 point lead and then they started to go on autopilot, which they couldn't come back from.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I could see that as well, because it's one of those things that a coach will try to tell you all week long that, hey, you know, this team can beat you if you're not careful, they can beat you. And then you're just like, all right, you know, whatever, coach, like, I know what you're talking about, but we should be able to take care of this. You get in the game like you said, getting an 11-point lead, you feel like, all right, man, you know, we should be able to cruise and get this done. Even though you're still playing hard and you're still going at it, but you maybe underestimate just how hard the other team is going to come at you and even still, you underestimate that because you're saying that your best isn't even as good as half of our best. And, By the time, you know, it got into a real game, you had to ratchet it up and Georgia Tech just, you know, the shooting and they started making shots and it came down to the wire and Georgia Tech made the play.
1: Well, also, you're talking about 40% of your starting lineup. Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan, each going three of 14 from the field, and 17 of those 28 field goal attempts were from distance. Harrison Ingram, now he hit a huge three at the end to bring that within one. I think that was a 72-71 score after he hit the three. Cormac Ryan, again, 30% from three, but he missed four of his two-point field goal attempts, and that's a lot of missed shots from two guys that you do kind of have to rely on offensively, especially if Armando Baycott is only going to hit four field goals and then Cadeau goes out having only played 21 minutes.
2: Now, I think that's a story yep. that you look at the more we we dig into this game, what you've gotten from Armando Baycott uh, in the last three games now at this point. He had five points in each of the two previous games before this score single digits once again and so that's the thing if Carolina's going to make a real championship run they're going to have to get more from armando baycott than what they've been getting
1: all right Fiddy, let's hear some of your takes on this what were your thoughts on north carolina losing to georgia tech last night 74
3: to 73 uh one i think georgia tech has a great head coach in damon Steinemeyer, um and i think he can If if he's there for a long time, can rebuild Georgia Tech to being a competitor in this conference year in year out? Because he out coached Huber Davis, I thought. uh, You know, from about the middle part of the first uh, half all the way through. um, You know, you look at from the Carolina perspective. Like everyone wants to talk about the foul that wasn't called at the end of the game. And do I think it was a foul? Yeah, I think R. J. Davis was fouled, and I think the ACC Player of the Year should get that call and a guy that's maybe second in line to be the national player of the year. My issue is is the game should never have been in that position anyway. You blew an eleven point lead in the first half um, against a team that was two and seven, you know, on the road. You gave up six offensive rebounds in the first a minute and a half to open up the game. That's why Armando sat for four and a half minutes in that game last night. So um, you know, I said I hated being nine and oh because you know a loss was coming. I'd rather that loss come last night than on Saturday to Duke. It feels like a good time for Huber Davis to reset everything. You're at at the halfway point, and last night's a good example. Yes, you've played really, really well. But there's still room for us to grow, to get where we want to get to, to win a regular season title, compete for an ACC tournament, and ultimately make a run at the Final Four.
2: I couldn't tell you the last time, too, that I've seen a team, especially a good team, top 10, top 25, whichever metric you want to go by, only have one guy scoring double digits. That's that's pretty rare.
1: Yeah, it is rare. And I, I can't tell you the last time I've seen that either, to be honest with you. I did want to start to go down to this foul call as well, or lack thereof. Like, I think it was a foul. I think some people that don't think it was would argue that R.J. Davis initiated the contact. I do think you have movement on the big man, I forget his name, but defending R.J. Davis down low. And I do think that there was some kind of body movement to the point where R.J. ran into a brick wall that was also moving. And that's why you see that deflection going back but he's also right. And I do feel like we've heard this from most heels fans. Yeah, I think it was a foul call, but if we want our officials to be consistent, They weren't calling these fouls the last four minutes of the game and they were letting them play for the most part. You also can understand this is a really good basketball team this year. They're third in the country for a reason. Strong non-conference schedule. Have a couple of strong non-conference wins. They were undefeated in conference play and so when you allow Georgia Tech to hang in like that because you've missed so many shots there are other reasons that they lost this game to the point where we don't need to focus on the no-call and say that's why they lost. Yeah, I think there was a foul there, I think R.J. Davis should have probably gone to the foul line with a chance to win that game. But ultimately, it's not why they lost, and it's more impressive to me the way that Georgia Tech played in order to get that win at home.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you as well. I mean, Stoudemire, they've gotten two huge wins at home at this point, beating Duke and North Carolina. Uh, You thought Stoudemire coming over with the NBA experience. We know what he represented as a player, and so he's bringing that to Georgia Tech, a school that I think could you know, end up being a sleeper because we know what their pedigree is. And so uh, for them, it's a great win. And for teams like that, you just wonder, why can't you get that type of effort every single night? But obviously this game is going to turn into what happened in North Carolina and not what's good uh, with Georgia Tech. But I thought Stoudemire got his guys to come out and give a tremendous, tremendous effort uh, on the game. I mean, they lost in the rebound battle. They had 10 assists to uh 14 turnovers so Georgia Tech had a lot of metrics that would have led to them losing, but for whatever reason, they did not.
1: All right, so we can focus a little more on Armando Baycott, his weird season compared to what he's been doing in years prior, What, if you want to see anything different from him going forward, and more on this game between Carolina and Georgia Tech. We'll discuss it more in the Campus Corner coming up at 1 o'clock. Dave Canales is working hard on filling out that coaching staff, and he made a bunch of hires yesterday. Get to know your panthers coaching staff on the other side of the break it's Wesson walker sports radio 927 wfnz
2: mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the mccrispy juicy fried chicken buttery bun unmatched pickle to chicken ratio yeah they know what they're doing
1: going on in the studio right now i don't know if you guys can relate to this as well but i'm looking at the rundown usually we print it out before we start the show sometimes things are just moving along at a rapid pace and we don't print it out before we start the show that was one of those scenarios that just took place at the beginning of today and uh somehow the rundown gave us instead of just three four pages of content everything neatly organized I looked down, and there were 146 pages on the document of the same exact thing over and over and over again. And we did not know how to work it. Flounder came in and saved the day. He said, because I'm not great with computers. Fiddy, are you good with computers or, like, decent at it? Because I know I am not. Um, no. Is because, that why you're laughing?
3: No, well. I mean, you you heard me this morning while I was uh, doing some payroll stuff in the in the fishbowl. Yeah, multiple f bombs. That's true. Um, This this rundown it wasn't printed out because I was running late. It wasn't printed out because it just it just broke. It was like C three PO whenever he just got discombobulated in like episode. Wow. Okay. Episode like five. Like our rundown just took a big old you know what on itself and uh, okay very frustrating because. You know, it's hard for us to do the show without all of our talking points, our sound right there in front of us. It,
1: it, it's hilarious because it feels like the show does it. We need the rundown. We're all scrambling. We, can, we can't
3: be on the air without the rundown. What happens? I mean, you, we kind of feel like me when I go to sleep at night naked.
1: All right. <laughs> do you sleep naked? You sleep without any clothes on.
3: Uh, Yes.
1: I think you just wanted to say that joke. I think you no. actually have one article of clothing.
3: Nope. I mean, last night I slept with shorts on, but uh, I am a guy that sleeps in the nude because I was having issues sleeping, and Willie P. suggested sleep without any clothes on.
1: Hold on. I'm sorry. I do need to explore this for at least a minute. I know I'm walking a fine line here for the people, but you're telling me that Willie P. sleeps in the nude, too.
3: He did, at least before he was a married man. <laughs> Don't know if if, if if the lovely Mrs. Palachik changed that, Uh huh. but... You know, back when we were doing the whole like rotation thing, mm-hmm. I open, uh, he asked me one day what the problem was. I said I got two hours of sleep. I'm not sleeping well. He said, "You ever tried sleeping in the nude?" Mm-hmm. Tried it, and uh, all right. Now I'm getting four hours. Okay. What <laughs> did you doubled it? <laughs> You've doubled it by just
1: stripping off every article of clothing. I saw you make a couple of stank faces, Wes. It seemed like you were either doing that at the rundown or fitty sleeping at the, in the rundown.
2: Nude. But uh, I did read an article sometime back that did say you you, you get better sleep sleeping that way. Not, um, not me, man. They're saying your body temperature and stuff like that, and how you sleep better. Well,
1: and and clearly that could be true for other people, but I really don't like it. Yeah, I just I need a little like just a tiny bit more security. Yeah,
3: just a little <laughs>
1: too open. <laughs> and I'm not saying that i'm going to bed in a parka i'm not telling you that but i'm just <laughs> telling you i can't have everything i i gotta i gotta wear something just a tiny like just underwear and that's it i'm cool but i need to have one article of clothing on when i go to bed okay i mean fair enough but yeah there, there, there is scientific
2: research that backs that you you can't get a better night's sleep like
1: that all right well tune in for more sleep information here on the Western walker right, show Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten, and you can tell us how you sleep i ah, know no no that's terrible that's terrible don't do that Don't do that. i'll take it back i'll take it back um i did want to go to bagel guy's text on the text line because yeah we forgot war cry wednesday uh, amidst all of the chaos that was going on with the rundown we've and now we've got people sleeping in the nude I, we, there's a lot going on here and so i'm sorry about that we did forget about war cry I usually like doing that and then playing the intro to getting off the bus. And so I kicked it to you guys. Do we just want to do this to start the campus corner? But Wes is like, no, the people need it on Wednesday. We can't delay this any further. So we're going to do the war cry here. That's right. So Everybody get ready. I apologize that we don't have the sound afterwards to drown it out a little bit and then set the stage. But we're going to do it because we can't delay on a war cry any longer. Here is your warning. And now, even if it is at 1226 rather than 12 o'clock. I still want you to yell in your cubicle. I still want you to yell in your car at the intersection. I want the neighbors to think about calling the police and filing a noise complaint. I want all of this to happen when you listen to Wes and Walker. One, two, three. <laughs> I sleeping) <laughs> It's very weird to not have getting off of the bus after that. But there you go. There's your War Cry Wednesday. And now we're ready to talk about this Carolina Panthers coaching staff. Adam Schefter reported that the Panthers reached an agreement with four offensive coaches as Dave Canales takes over as head coach. And those staff members include assistant head coach and run game coordinator Harold Goodwin. Panthers also add running backs coach Bernie Parmalee, great name, wide receivers coach Rob Moore, and offensive line coach Joe Gilbert. That, of course, is on the heels of Brad Idzik, the wide receiver coach in Tampa, being named the offensive coordinator here in in Carolina from the Buccaneers organization. Before we start to dive in and get to know some of the members of the coaching staff here, Wes, to me, I think this only continues... What is a great sign in the fact that clearly Dave Canales is the guy that is hiring everybody that he wants to. And as far as we know, David Tepper doesn't have any influence over any of these hires.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the names, especially Bernie Palmerly was a throwback for me back in the day. A little mediocre Dolphins football with Jay Fiedler and all (laughs) those guys. Or Rondé and you know, his son plays for Syracuse or uh, I don't know if he transferred or not. But yeah, so I mean, he's getting his staff together. He's getting his guys and that's what we want to see. I mean, we don't want to see uh guys that's coming together and just being patched together like the staff was last year that was supposed to be that all star staff that we were uh excited about. These are guys who are canalis' guys and we feel like everybody's gonna be moving on one accord. So if things don't go right, there's only one man to blame. And so uh I think this is a good start. I think this is a good sign for things to come. You know, now they gotta get out there and do their jobs. But uh I just like the fact that Canalis is getting his guys, and it's not this guy from here and that guy from there. And Canales isn't that familiar with them. He's heard of them, but uh, they're gonna work together because
1: Tepper likes them and things of that nature. So I, I like where it's headed. Communication and philosophy will not be an issue this year. And so as far as the things that we can control before the winning and the losing takes place in the regular season, and then we have to figure out why, especially if it's the losing that takes place, we have to figure out why that's happening. We can understand immediately it's not because of a difference of philosophy and it's not because of a difference of communication or lack thereof that is huge because that was the problem when we got that article on the athletic that allowed us to understand what was going on it was because there were different opinions so much so that some members of the coaching staff are going to david tepper and saying hey here's the problems you need to know about frank reich didn't have control over everybody because he also didn't have full control on who he wanted to hire a part of his staff in the first place. Greg Olson talked about this. Wes, he discussed yesterday. That's the first thing you have to do. It's to be able to have control where everybody buys in. Everybody on that staff has to buy into the message that the head guy is, you know, relaying to the team. And if that doesn't happen, then it's real easy to get off track. Like it's actually really hard to stay on it if nobody agrees with the philosophy that you're preaching. And so that's not going to be a problem. If we want to go to Brad Idzik, next in command on the offense, 32 years old, has quite the football family history. And so here's Brad Idzik, who is promoted to offensive uh, offensive coordinator. His father, John, was the New York Jets GM after spending six seasons in the front office in Seattle. That span, of course, overlapped with Canales and Dan Morgan's tenure with Seattle. Idzik's grandfather. Yet we keep going back in the football family tree. Idzik's grandfather was the head coach at the University of Detroit in the 1960s, and he was an assistant in the NFL and the CFL. Football family, you got it with Idzik at 32 years old, who just might become that next hot young offensive man, he's coordinator. To be getting younger getting younger. Uh, that 32 is is young. That's young man. Well, that was. Sean McVay was real young too, right? Mm-hmm. And he was around that area. And then we got a little bit older, but it's bringing it right back on down. Yeah. And so we'll see what happens with Carolina. If you have that kind of turnaround, it's, it could be another head coaching candidate, but Wes, as we continue to say, communication is not going to be a problem. These guys are best friends. I, I've saw so many videos of them, like doing pregame warmups alongside one another. There was the video, I think Michael Rimmer, who was a popular Panthers follow, he put some of these videos out on Twitter, and it was Idzik and Canales at Bank of America Stadium this year, just like going through warm up drills all across the field. Here's Idzik's comments on Dave. He said, You know, it's funny. Dave and I, the last four years, we've been like two peas in a pod. We're always in each other's office. We're never alone. Anytime that there was somebody down for film study, The other one would just pop in and say, hey, what are you watching? We're watching this offense or we're watching this game. Like, okay, yeah, let's talk about it. The dialogue for us has been the last four years very good football-wise. He says we've gotten to know each other. I know what he wants to run as an offense. I helped him through the interview process to try to help him as much as I could. These guys are best friends. They're coaching the Carolina Panthers now. And I like these guys being on the same page and it doesn't look like you're going to be able to break these guys apart whatsoever.
2: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And you talk about that type of camaraderie on the coaching staff. You also talk about – uh, these guys doing their work together like that. I mean, it's like they're coming in there, they're breaking down film, they're gym rats. Obviously to become an NFL head coach, it's hard to become that and not be that. And so uh, that's that's got to be a, a cool part of this thing too. Now, will it translate to wins and losses? We shall see, but uh, these are going to be two guys that are going to have each other's back and hopefully they have a, enough of a friendship where they have those checks and balances to where if Canales is thinking about something and Uh, Isaac doesn't think it will work that he can can interject and be able to do that and they can
1: uh, collaborate in a great way. So as we go down the list, a couple of these other names that are a part of the coaching staff now, we just mentioned, right, I wanted to talk about Joe Gilbert, now offensive line coach. Was James Campen the last couple of years? Very respected. Terrible year this year for the offensive line. Joe Gilbert steps in his place. And here's Edgar Salmingo Jr. on Panthers Twitter. He put out there um, the comment from J.C. Allen, who covers Tampa Bay. And J.C. said, those guys are old school coaches. Joe Gilbert and Harold Goodwin, the run game coordinator. They're old school coaches. They're tough as nails. They expect the best out of their players. They'll spend the extra time going over the fine details and coaching techniques. If you were worried about Dave Canales being just a little too positive for your liking, Just a little too, hey, guys, let's go out there and have fun today. (laughs) I don't think that's the case, but I understand you might get that impression if you follow his Twitter account. Looks like these are the guys that are here busting your ass on the offensive line. (laughs) Joe Gilbert, toughest nails types of dudes, run game coordinator, and honestly, that's exactly what I want on my offensive line and my run game coordinator, Wes. And even if the run game wasn't great last year in Tampa – it's because Tampa has not been good at running the football in the last, like, almost decade now. Mm-hmm. And they did get better at the end of the season. I think that matters. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that uh,
2: you said that a good balance on the coaching staff as far as temperament. And we know that with football coaches, you're going to get uh, a lot of different personalities. And he's going to be really positive. But then he's going to have some coaches on there that aren't going to, you know, give you uh, strawberries and rainbows uh, all the time. <laughs> and so uh, that's that's a nice omen as well but the thing is they got to get the dogs in there to follow out those orders when they're getting barked on uh and then rob moore was another throwback but i do uh, think about pop tarts a lot <laughs> that's another man. i uh, like drop. that i like that as Ron a one drop uh, it's okay I like uh, that as a uh, rob moore drop. is another guy who um, uh, you know the, the, is a throwback from the past really good player uh during his time as well so as i said i, I think these are nice moves a nice start and now the interesting part Uh, All of these moves tell me that the offensive staff is coming together, and that's going to be what's going to happen with this defensive staff.
1: Something that we've noted, too, you brought it up in the first place. It got us around even more so on bringing Dave Canales here to Carolina. You keep picking apart that coaching staff on the Buccaneers. And so now, not only do they have to replace their offensive coordinator, they now have to replace their wide receiver coach. They now have to replace their offensive line. They now have to replace the run game coordinator. I mean, we're gutting them a lot of work to be done there. And so if you care about weakening the best team in the division from this past year, it's just a nice little cherry on top. Yeah. It's a nice bonus. We're going to take all of the coaches that we think allowed you to have success last year, certainly offensively. And now you got to replace every single one of them. Good luck. Because it's really hard to Petty do this. Petty, Wes, year. and Walker. Love it. Oh, I'm here for it. <laughs> Just give me all of the coaches that allowed you to have success. Now, I do want to keep one of the coaches that allowed the de- defense to have success here in Carolina. But, Wes, you go to Joe Person's article on The Athletic, who is giving us a bunch of information on what's going on. He said it was only a couple of weeks ago that The Athletic mentioned a possibility um, pairing. In uh, Averro and Ben Johnson here in Carolina, they have the same agent. But now there's a sense in NFL circles that Averro is more interested in pursuing defensive coordinator positions elsewhere mm. rather than returning to Carolina. And it feels like you could read the tea leaves on this. We'd, we've been in this process for a while. Dave Canales was introduced as the head coach almost a week ago. And Avero still no longer the D.C. here. He interviewed twice with Seattle as a potential head coaching candidate for them, but he's not the favorite to land that job. If he doesn't, he also interviewed for the Rams defensive coordinator job. If everybody last year thought that this was a terrible culture, so much to the point where some coaching staff members were texting other guys from outside of the franchise saying, hey, don't come here. It's terrible. And Averro was the only one that was successful enough for the team to want him back, I could understand why Vero might want to go somewhere else, especially a contender. The Rams are way more of a contender than what Carolina yes. is. They made the playoffs last year and they're in this weird spot where they're rebuilding, but also they're a playoff contender. Like they have some young pieces on that roster. So I would understand why Vero might go to the Rams, be their DC, rather than stay here for a new head coach, a guy that got something you interviewed for the second straight season in a row here in Carolina. It makes all the sense in the world that Averro might leave for a different franchise.
2: Um with you on that as well and so he's going to want to get a chance to get his weight up get a chance to showcase his defenses at the highest levels and then go on to a coaching job more than likely but like I said it and I told you before I think he did a pretty good job with this defense and there were a ton of injuries yes they were but I just wanted to see a a brand new staff all the way across the board I want Canales to have his guys all the way across the board and yeah Everett is a nice piece to plug in because of what uh, he did last year but this was still uh, a defense that struggled against the run and struggled sacking the quarterback. And so, uh, you know, while he brings a lot to the table, there were also some some flaws there a little bit. Uh, I do like Everett, but as I said, I wanted to see a complete cleaning of the house. They did not do that, obviously, with the general manager spot with Dan Morgan staying in place, but I wanted to see uh, a complete cleaning of the house, and so I want a whole new staff. I want now staff of his guy, so then there's no excuses. There's no more you know this guy did this, or this guy did that, or dissension in the coaching staff, but I also think to Everro's point too, you know he saw what happened last year, and I don't think that's the type of work environment he wants to be in uh i I think that he didn't like the dysfunction, and maybe he feels like that this is gonna continue, no matter who's the head coach, so who knows what the thoughts are going on in his head. But obviously, if you have a chance to go to a Los Angeles and coach with the Rams, a team that's going to be an NFC contender more than likely next year, I mean, that's hard to turn down.
1: It is. It is hard to turn down. And we'll see if Averro eventually does it and does stay with Carolina. If he does leave, the other thing, of course, to note is who is going to be that defensive coordinator? as, As we talk about, it's hard to hire a good man in that position one time and then to ask whoever the head coach is to continue to do it. Yeah. It's probably tougher offensively, but it's still hard defensively too. So you let a good defensive coordinator leave. If you don't think he's great, then fine. But now you got to find another good one, right? It's going to be tough. And there's still a lot of work to be done for this coaching staff. Let's move on. We'll talk about the Charlotte Hornets and the losing culture that they have. So much so that one former player now is telling you the Hornets losing. It's in their DNA. Does it feel like a traitor comment from one of the former players here with the Charlotte Hornets? We'll talk about it coming up next. Wes and Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.
2: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
1: and Walker back on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ I teased a certain uh, former Charlotte Hornet saying that losing is in the Hornets DNA and 704 wrote in and said before you say who the Hornet is let me guess it's Malik Monk he's kind of the Hornets D'Angelo meaning D'Angelo Williams you're actually wrong 704 is wrong Mm -hmm. I'm surprised he didn't know well, I, me too, but it, I understand if you were to guess, it might be Malik Monk because Malik is, he was having those comments after the Kings beat the Hornets in Spectrum Center uh, earlier this year. He's like, yeah, you know, they run a lot of the same stuff and, you know, I, I knew we were going to beat them even though they didn't beat them in Sacramento, but okay, <laughs> I hear you. I still love Malik. No, it's actually Terry Rozier. Yeah. Former Charlotte Hornet now, at least former for the last two weeks. Terry Rozier had some comments about the culture with the Charlotte Hornets and it's Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat, my Locked On brother, hurting me all the same, asking Terry Rogier after a loss, and Miami's been losing a little bit, so after a loss, Wes Goldberg asked Terry what the difference is losing in Miami compared to losing in Charlotte, and here's what Terry had to say. This <laughs> is Total opposite. It's the total opposite. You know, when you're in Charlotte, you
2: kind of used to losing. It's, it's kind of your DNA, uh, and it sucks to say that because how much of a competitor I am. But over here, it's just you know, it's the total opposite. Nobody wants nobody wants to lose. Nobody is you know, it's fine with it. And uh, I think today was super helpful with the video. You know, I was talking to one another. And I think uh, you know, hopefully tomorrow we can turn things around. But I think everybody's no secret, everybody know the difference
1: between. Organizations, some organizations in the uh, how well some people take winning, or the culture of things, but this is the top. La 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 la! la. I don't want to hear it anymore. Stop talking, Terry. Yeah. So there's a couple things here. We'll start with this. I think the most hurtful statement in that whole spiel about the Hornets' culture was the fact that he said, not only you're kind of used to losing, because that's one thing, but he said it's in the DNA. Do you think these comments were too harsh? Do you think it's absolutely true what Terry Rozier had to say about this Hornets franchise?
2: Well, my problem was the messenger. Uh, I had a big problem with, that. with what he had to say. Uh, I don't mind him saying that, but you were part of the problem. Like We love your offensive prowess, what you brought to the table. But all you were was a bucket getter here. You look at his defensive rating. And to give people context, because I know everybody doesn't understand defensive rating. Well,
1: and rating is skewed. but
2: I It is. But, I mean, just for some context, you look at the NBA all-time defensive ratings leaders. And you start with, uh, well, Andre Drummond has it at 100.86. But when you go all the way down to number 100, it's at 115.59. Terry Rozier was in the 120s for all of his tenure with the Hornets. So that tells you no defense was getting played by Terry Rogier. Also, you were the resident veteran on this team as well. The guy who could speak to guys on the team and maybe get the best out of them because you were the veteran and also you were out there putting in the work on the offensive side of the ball. So as much as Terry contributed uh, scoring-wise, he was a one-dimensional player here. So for him to say... Also, too, we never saw Terry on the benches getting at guys. He was over there wearing his little clothes and chilling when the Hornets was getting drilled like normal, not Except even little clothes. yeah. Not even a guy that was you know, getting up in guys' face and getting at guys when they were losing. So the leadership was lacking from him as well, and he was the veteran. And the key part about it was he was the veteran that guys would listen to. Terry could get LaMelo to listen to him. Terry could get any of those guys to listen to him. That wasn't done. You are part of the losing culture, and from my vantage point, you didn't do much to try and change that. Uh, so, no, Terry saying that and saying, well, the, you know, this, this is kind of their DNA. Yeah, you were a part of that DNA. You contributed to it. Good rennets, Have fun in Miami because I know Pat Riley's going to be on your behind nonstop about the defense that you play or lack thereof.
1: That ain't me no more, though. I got this heat uh, culture jersey No, I'm jersey saying on. heat culture, yeah. No. Hey. Do you see it? It's the heat culture jersey. That's them. That's their DNA. I've been out there for two weeks.
2: Yeah, he was wrong for
1: that, man. I'm a new man. But at least try to take some, before you go, just at least try to take some culpability on your own. So here's, yeah, man, there's some, like, it's complicated for me because I'm the same guy that was accused for almost crying, giving Terry the eulogy during his time here, having left. And Terry Rozier did mean a lot in this transition to a team that doesn't ever win. And the most winning they ever did was going over 500 and getting destroyed in two play-in games back-to-back. Which, by the way, Terry didn't play well in. Either one of those play-in games. And so that's what's frustrating. But ultimately, I think on the court, I never questioned Terry's effort. Like, on the court, especially offensively, you're right about that. Mm -hmm. That guy brought it every single night. And that stuff matters. And that's why we cared about Terry leaving. He also got better. So you knew even when he had the basketball in his hands, him adapting to a role as primary ball handler, not only are you putting the work in, but you can actually see the fruits of your labor and you developing into a good pick and roll ball handler, becoming one of the more efficient guys in the league at that when you weren't very good, like it was 50 50, whether you were going to make a good decision in the pick and roll or not, but he got better. And so that's what I focused on as he leaves. But the complicated part of the Hornets fan slash Terry Rozier relationship is that we've heard you at the podium say something in the same neighborhood before about how this team needs to play better defensively, how we need to buy in to what the coach is preaching and make sure that carries itself out there on the court. And then you wouldn't play well enough defensively. Because you're right. Like, look, there are a lot of people that might disagree with what you're saying, bringing in the defensive rating, because I think a lot of advanced metrics nerds would tell you those stats are misleading. But this is a case where it does match up with what you see on the court, too. Like, Terry wasn't good defensively at all. And so when this team, like, everybody wants to say, hey, this team is terrible, they don't defend, but we love Terry. Okay. Like, Terry offensively was fun as hell. And that matters. But then when you try to say it's in their DNA... Like, dog, you were just here two weeks ago, right? Eight. you were here for. Almost and he's not wrong. He's no. not wrong. So this is the other. This is the part I wanted to get to as well. I, we were talking about this on Lockdown On Hornets, of course. DNA almost indicates that you can't change it, and so I was like, okay, I, well, okay. Like, it, there's no arguing, especially the second iteration of this franchise, that losing has been all a part of their DNA, because they haven't won a playoff series. The closest they got was when they got the seven game series against Miami and then game seven bounced destroyed. And that's Dwayne Wade. You just still balling at that time, but you got beat. That's the closest thing they've had to success from 2004 on before that. I, you know, they didn't get to a conference finals, but yeah, they, they won playoff series. We have moments. We have the shot against the Boston Celtics. Like it's not quite like that. So maybe if Michael Jordan, as an owner with majority stake in the team, maybe you can say it's in their DNA indicating that it can't change because the owner will stay as long as they want to. But he sold the team. Now it's Gay Plotkin. Now it's Rick Schnall. We've seen them put their fingerprints on this franchise a little bit with the stadium updates, the renovations. Everybody wants to joke, hey, why don't you care about putting a product on the floor before we start doing this stuff to the stadium? Which the jokes are heard, fine. It's low-hanging fruit again. But... I'm not going to say don't do the stadium updates. Like it's still necessary. And I still understand the owners doing that. Now it's all going to come down to what you do this off season as to if you can change your DNA makeup. You're going to fire the GM. Mitch Kupchak's not going to be here next year. You're going to fire Steve Clifford. Even with Jake Fisher giving us a weird comment about that's still uncertain. Steve Clifford's not coming back. So you're going to get a new head coach. Can you do the thing That allows you to be like some of these other small market teams that make that jump from horrible basketball franchise to now we're up and coming. Now we actually can compete in a play in tournament rather than losing by 30 again. Go get the hot assistant just like the Panthers did, to be honest with you. Just do like the normal things that other teams might do and then put that in place here. You're going to have a lot of cap space. You got to make good decisions with that cap space. We'll see if they can. Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, that's really it. Everybody else, you need to clean house as much as you possibly can. And then, you know, Mark Williams, Nick Smith Jr., I get it, right? Like, as far as the players that will get behind, though, that can lead us to whatever that next step is, it's Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball right now. And then we'll see what else they do. But the DNA, that might have been true with Michael as majority stakeholder. Now this is the chance for it to change It is, and it's going to all be on ownership to see if it actually happens.
2: Yeah. And it is up to them. My, my only issue with Tier was just, like I said, the way he issued the message, I thought he could have used that as an opportunity to take some responsibility in it on, the role that he played in it. And so that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's wrong in what he said at all, because I've been saying, if you guys have been listening, I've been saying that the Hornets need a culture shift and how it seems like they're okay with losing. And there's not enough uh, fire being shown to get on that winning track. I don't have a problem with that, but Terry just needs to take
1: his responsibility um, in that. Well, and, and I think part of the losing culture too, right? This is the effort stuff. And I get it. Like there are games where they just don't have the effort, but man, You know, ultimately, we can only get so mad at Nathan Mensah for not playing better. Right. You know what it's I'm saying? Like like this team—it's it, not like he's a a big time all star player, right? So when I defend, th- there are games where they don't have effort. That happens with every single team in an 82 game season, and I know it's a bad look too. When then you have Lamelo Bryce and James Booknight all laughing on the sideline while your coach is ejected, trying to get you fired up. I get all of that. The thing is, we can get mad as we want to. We can get as furious as we possibly want to. Nathan Mensah is not going to come in here and give 110 percent and look like a good basketball player. He is doing everything he can. (laughs) Like, that guy's played, what, 15, 20 minutes a game because he's the only big man depth that you have with Mark Williams out? And it's funny, people say, Walker, you're defending the Hornets. I'm defending them by saying they're not good. (laughs) Like, I'm defending them by saying they're not talented. Mitch Kupchak came to the podium one time and said, we don't have any all-stars on this team. Yeah, that's still true, at least right now. With LaMelo being hurt the last couple of years, if you do want to argue he's an all-star, great. The dude's played almost, I think, around 50 games the last two seasons. They just don't got the talent either. And that's where ownership comes in with GM, with head coach, and we'll see if they can fix it. Time to start from the bottom up. La, la, la. I can't hear you, Terry. I'm not (laughs) listening anymore. I'm done. All right. Let's go to the campus corner. Let's talk about another team. Not losing in their DNA, but they did lose last night. North Carolina. They dropped the game to Georgia Tech. How worried should we be? Campus Corner, coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7.